I wasn't lying when I said this in my prayer. We're going about ready to talk about a passage out of Matthew 7. In fact, I, I wanted to look at Christian. He was the one that kind of organized some of this. Last week, I preached on something that I don't feel like I'm very good at. And now I'm going to preach on something else that I don't feel like I'm very good at. So you've gotten two weeks in which you're getting a, a guy that hasn't... <laughs> I'll just confess, I don't have it all together. But I'm thankful God does. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open God's Word, and hopefully uh, I'll stay out of the way, uh, but we'll be able to just catch a glimpse of, I think, what's an absolutely amazing passage. Let me read this passage to you. If you need a Bible, there'll be people coming down the middle uh, that you can get it, but let's, uh, let's just get a running start, and uh, let's read this passage we're going to look at today. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, for most of us, we've heard this passage. We've heard the whole judge, you know, that you'd be not judged. And generally what we use that is a back off kind of a thing. These words in which somebody comes up to maybe address in your life or they're addressing in someone else's life. And we throw this little statement around, you know, judge lest you not be judged. Now, the sad part about that is, is that it misses the point. It's not so much that we aren't supposed to judge. It's that we're to judge rightly. See, in this particular passage, when you go down to verse 5, we are still supposed to carry out a way in which we're going to talk about it. And we'll kind of define that word judge here in just a little bit. But I actually think one of the most unloving things that you can do for a person is to see the need of transformation within their life and choose to do nothing about it. It's the seeing somebody else that's hurt, the seeing the somebody else that's, that's off kilter, that, that they're not living up to the intent for which God not only made them, but rescued them and brought him in the family. But I will also say this, that deep within us is a propensity to judge wrongly. And so if you're sitting here today and you think this doesn't apply to you, let me just say this, the word hypocrite is actually intended for you. Now, I say that with a whole bunch of fear and consternation because that word is also meant for me. See, no matter what you do, every one of us in here, we are twisted and we are desperately in need of the Spirit of God to do a work within us. And so in this, Jesus is going to talk to this group of people. You'll see this. He uses the word brother, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. It doesn't mean brother or sister. Meaning this is family business. These are people that are all part of the kingdom. I have a, a job for the people that are part of my kingdom to be doing. But we have to define what does that word judge even mean? Well, in some ways, it has the idea of to sift, to, to separate, to, to choose, to, to, to select something. But I think the greater word here for us today is this idea of discern, to discern something. See, whenever you study, and I'll just kind of give this one to you, whenever you're studying the Bible, one of the best things you can do is when you're looking at a word is to let the context kind of decide what's being said there. Because words can mean different things depending on the context. And you know that whenever we use the English language, there's just words that have different meanings depending on the context in which we put them in. 
Now, this particular word, when you look at it, flows out of Matthew 6, where this, this warning that Jesus had of beware of practicing your righteousness for other people to be seen by them. He was pointing back to the religious leaders of the time within Judaism and saying, those religious leaders, in some way, they love to practice righteousness or how they, in their own thoughts, have been made right. When it's not the righteousness of God, ultimately what it is, is it's self-righteousness. This way in which I have determined myself good, that I've arranged myself in such a way that it's intended to be, but it's not God's righteousness that has transformed me and made me different and now allows me now to live, to fulfill the law. If you remember, we talked about that. But instead, what it is, is this kind of self-determined way that I get to decide what's right and what's not right and how the rest of you should live. And if you've ever either been that person or had someone like that in your life, they're depressing. Why? You see that within the Gospel of Matthew, man. The Pharisees just, he said, you heap things on top of them. You tie things to them. You, you degrade and dehumanize people and bring them down all so that you can make yourself look good. So when we talk about judging rightly or wrongly, to judge wrongly means to judge from a position of self-righteousness. Okay, that's one of the first things that we kind of got to see as we define out this word of what it means to judge. There's another word, though, that I think is important to give us a positive connotation to this, that when we talk about righteousness, I think Jesus defined it well within the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about the disciples' prayer, when he had this idea of, so pray this way, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we mean by righteousness? Righteous acts are one that Jesus' name, God's name, is honored above all things. Righteous acts make much of the kingdom of God. Righteous acts in their core will be according to God's will. And so when we talk about it, to judge rightly is actually to not want my kingdom or my name honored or my will to be done. But no, I want God's name to be reverenced. I want God's kingdom to come. I want his will to be done. That is righteous. So we got to kind of throw that into the mix of what does it mean to judge. The other part of it, remember last week, remember if I ever told you, remember I told you, if you ever see a word a lot of times, that should give you a clue. Look how often this word you or your is used. Guess who he's talking to? You and me. See, for the whole time you've been talking about these religious leaders, right? You've been talking about, you know, these Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and different things at that point. And now Jesus wants to make sure that we don't leave going, yeah, stupid Pharisees, Sadducees, whatnot. They are losers. You know, that's not what he was saying. He now turns it and says, now I want to I talk to you. In fact, as you watch the flow down through this particular text, what's so fascinating, you know this because Paul was from the South, right? Remember I told you that, Paul was from the South. We use the word you, but when you go to the South, it's y'all. And so in this, he says, y'all verse one, he uses y'all verse two, he uses y'all verse three, he uses y'all verse four. But look at verse five, you, singular. It's almost like, again, somebody might be sitting in the group of people, you know, and they're like, yeah, y'all, 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 y'all. I'm good, but y'all, y'all, y'all are the problem. And he just goes, no, 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 you. I'm talking about you. And even too in that, he uses that word hypocrite. Oh, we don't like that term. 
that idea of someone that's trying to hide something about who we are. Because deep down inside of us, all of us know we we aren't all that. We try to act like we're all that, but we ain't that. And then what we do, and here's this word hypocrite, instead then we put a mask upon our face. That's actually what it meant to be a hypocrite, to then try to be something that we're not. And I would even say this, what's so scary about this particular word and the way this flows, and I'll show you here in a second, is we know that we're a mess, but we put a mask on and pretend like we're God. That is serious. Not only that, but we understand from this idea of hypocrite, he's connecting. You remember those Pharisees and those Sadducees that I talked about when I talked about giving to the needy and I talked about prayer and I talked about this idea of fasting? You have within you, is his point, the same propensity to do that as they do. Every single one of us in this room, because we are humans and we are fallen, we have this propensity. And I would even say this, before we enter into this text, one of my things that I hope the Spirit of God convicts you of and lays upon you is not that you now look around and go, others have this problem, but for you to deep down within you know, you too are this. All of us are. This is what we tend to do then as hypocrites. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may my name be honored, may my kingdom come, May my will be done on earth because I could care less about heaven. Now, we say that as kind of like, ooh, ooh, what are you talking about? Well, let me, let me give you an illustration of me. So probably about like three or four weeks ago, I will never forget this. Something happened inside of my household. Things were supposed to go a certain way. I had arranged it as so. I was the king of my house. And I came home and the rest of my kingdom had the audacity to not be on my page. And as I walked in, let me tell you this, I had no desire whatsoever to make much of the name of God. I wanted to make much of the name of Todd. And I walked in and I wasn't happy. And then I realized my kingdom, including the people of my kingdom, were not operating in the way that I wanted to. My kingdom needed to come. And then finally, I wanted to make sure they all knew my will would be done. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? We can kind of laugh about it, but deep inside, we know we're all that way, aren't we? Every day and in every way, we have these kingdom battles inside of us. We have this thought of what the world should look like and how the world should operate and how things should go. But at the end of it, what we really want is not for me to be the one who's God. We want God to be God. We want for his name to be honored. We want for his kingdom to come. We want for his will to be done. Because deep down, we know we can't do it because deep within us, we are hypocrites. Now, the other aspect of it, you're going to see there, and it's used three different times, your brother. In some way, I'm supposed to help somebody. I'm supposed to be a blessing to somebody in how this carries out. I'm either going to be a curse to them, and he's going to say, do not judge here in a second, or that I'm going to be a blessing to them. So there's some way in which it's supposed to go. And the way that I'm supposed to help them is look how many times you see the word I. Not capital I, but my I. And if you remember right, when Christian preached through that, 
It is the very organ whereby which either you will have light that comes into you or darkness that comes into you. And your goal is to help them to make sure that what goes into that eye is light and not darkness. There's a way in which you're going to help them to be able to do that. That's where that passage was that Christian talked about. So let me, let me give you a definition of judging rightly, okay? Just so we can kind of get this and we can go, in, go into the text. Here's the definition I want to give you. To judge rightly is to be, is, it is the transformed ability or capacity to identify, to discern and remove what is keeping a brother or sister from honoring God, living his kingdom, and following his will. That's what we're trying to do in people's lives. We're trying to help them to come into alignment with who God is and what he's doing in the world. Now, to judge wrongly. It is the deceptive predisposition to identify and remove what is keeping a brother or sister from honoring me and living my kingdom and following my will. And let me just say this. The rest of the, new t- the, rest of the book of Matthew is going to talk about these Pharisee cats. And they were the ones that sucked the life out of people because they made it about themselves instead of drawing people to the great God that he is. And I would even say this, though. They were so deceptive that they pretended like they were doing it to honor God, but ultimately they were drawing attention to themselves. So that's really what we're talking about with the word judge. Okay, so everybody wake back up. Okay, wake back up. Everybody with me. I want you to see this. So here we go. This is what we want to understand. So judge not. Well, to judge not in this particular case is to judge not from that self-righteous standpoint, to judge not from this particular idea of me wanting my way, my kingdom, my will, those types of things, but instead, according to his kingdom, according to his name being honored, according to his, uh, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's going to explain why, and I really want you to get this. That word that that's used there is this way to now give me the reason. Okay, Jesus, why do you want me to do this so badly? Because if you judge wrongly, look at this, you have to be careful. Judge not that you be what? Judge not. Now, what does that mean? Ultimately, what that means is, is that you are not the ultimate judge. Not only are we hypocritical, and here's what's so key to this, there is a judge who is greater than we are. And the propensity that we have in those moments is to step into his role and to pretend to be him. And this is Jesus' way of saying, you get this, right? Is that the way you judge people, if you judge them wrongly, there is a judge above you. It's meant to cause us to go, whoa, I better slow down this whole judge thing. I better really take my time before I just kind of go down this path. Now, what he's going to then do is he's going to, I'm going to skip that one. What he's going to now do is, is after he explains the reason, he's going to now give us a little bit more information. He's going to help kind of give us an explanation. Well, this is what that word for is there for. Look at verse 2. He says, for with the judgment or the verdict, or even you look down at verse 2 a little bit later, it says, and with the measure. In other words, the way that you bring a verdict down on somebody in thinking that somehow you know what's going on when potentially you don't because we're not omniscient, we're not omnipotent, we're not those kinds of people. He says, understand this, there's a verdict in which now you are coming to bear in which you think you have the measure, you have the standard. This thing now that you come along and you render upon them, you pronounce it or you use it, which is my own self kind of made way in which I'm going to judge you. He wants them to know you will be judged. It will be measured to you. In other words, the very standard whereby which you measure someone else 
in some way, and we were not exactly told what it is, and I'm going to it a little bit, you are going to be judged by the true judge. Now, in some ways, people think of, wow, when we were talking about wrath, and I don't think we're talking about wrath, God's wrath at this particular point. I think we're just talking about God's good discipline. Now, I say that from the standpoint of God's good discipline because this week, man, as I've kind of prepped for this, God has graced me with people to come alongside of me, and God has used them to smack me up the side of my head. I don't know if you've ever had that before, but you go to kind of work on something in your life, and you go, God, would you really do a work in me? And God goes, sure. <laughs> Be happy to. Oh. It's that wonderful, painful discipline of God. But it's that reminder right out of Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. Why? He wants to root that out of us. See, in those moments in which, you know, I gave you that scenario of coming into my kingdom in that kind of a way, my house is not my house. That's God's house. My wife, yes, yeah, she's my wife, but above all things, that's a daughter of the king. Those kids, sure, he's entrusted them to me, but he constantly has to remind me, those kids, those aren't your kids. Those are my kids that I've entrusted to you. And so in their life, I don't want you to do your name or your kingdom or your will, and I will bring discipline into your life if I need you to help you to understand those precious ones you've been entrusted with. When you bring upon them Todd's kingdom and Todd's will and Todd's name, you actually bring hurt upon your family. You send them in a the wrong direction. And so he says, no, I'll stop you. But he doesn't only do that. There's a beautiful way in which he gives even a greater clarification. Well, what are you talking about, God? I don't understand this. And he asks two questions. Why? And the second question he asks, how? The first question he says is, you know, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? The word speck is just used of like a, a, the smallest kind of little piece of wood that you can imagine. He then talks about verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Now he's going to explain why. When he says, but, well, why? Because you've got a log. Actually, the word is, is the idea is like a, a beam. I don't, we don't have any beams that are in here that I can see, but when I think about it, it's like a giant beam, and it's almost meant to be hysterical. It's meant to be like you having a brother that's got something in, and you got this giant plank in your eye. You know, you swing around, you're like, hey, let me help you with that, right? And the person's looking at you like, whoa. <laughs> and what is he going to eventually say? You got to take that sucker out at first. Now, the key to this that he's trying to get across to them is that the moment that you step into the place of God, the moment that you say, I can be the judge, and I will bring upon my, I'm going to bring upon my name and my kingdom, and I'm going to bring upon my will, God is looking at us going, yeah, that person might have issues, but your issue is massive. If you stand in that position of judging them with that giant plank in your eye, that giant beam, pretending in some way that you sit in this position of judge, you're in a terrible position. Now, the beauty is he's going to tell them something about themselves. You're a hypocrite. But the thing I love about hypocrites is, is that God loves to change hypocrites. I'm standing in front of you as one who on a regular basis battles 
deeply with so wanting to present to you somebody that I am not because, I mean, I'm, I'm Todd the vicar. I'm the holy man. I'm pastor. But you have it as well. We have this deception deep within us, this hypocrisy that we know things aren't right in us. We see things that aren't right around us. And it is sometimes so much easier to point out there with everything going on than to just deal with, I've got some junk I got to deal with in my own life. He's giving a starting place. And what does he say? Well, first and then. Well, first what? He says, first what you need to do is take the log out of your own eye. Before you even begin to help somebody else, you need to first do that. Now, how do I do that? Well, the beauty is this Christian's going to preach on it next week. If you've got your Bibles, you can see down in there. In verse 7, he's going to talk about this idea of ask and knock and seek. You need to ask and seek and knock. You need to actually go to God and ask for help. But here's one of the first things I think we all need to understand if we're going to take the log out of our eye. We're not God. Okay, everybody, I want you to say that with me. Say, I'm not God. Ready? One, two, three. Good, good class. We're making it somewhere. What do we mean by that? I do not sit in the position of judging by my standards. I am not trying them to help to come to my kingdom and my will and my name. I want them to come to God's. Now, that's a hard thing to do, which is why I think we need to do what we do, what Christian's going to talk about with ask and seek and knock. We ask because deep within us, man, we know we're not right. We need help. We need to ask God to help see it. And I'm even hoping that even today, as you kind of think of yourself, you'll go, gosh, what is this plank, this giant beam that's in my eye that's keeping me from seeing the world rightly? We need to seek. Why? Because God says if you seek, you'll find. We need to ask why so that it'll be given. There's a process that we go through of making sure that we're ready to come alongside of other people. And let me just say this, we need to go through that because we need to be a blessing to others because they're not living God's kingdom. They're not living God's will. They're not living God's name. And we need to help them. He said, but then after you've done that, well, sure, now you can come alongside of other people. But I think this is what I'd say to you. If we're gonna be the people God intends us to be, we're gonna have to confront one another. And I know we live in a world that feels so weird about confrontation. I mean, we, on a regular basis as this church, we do talk about things. We, we talk about things like abortion. To talk about abortion out in the world, people aren't going to like that. But actually, this passage is not primarily speaking about there. We need to start here. This is where we need to begin. And again, not to be these, you know, judgment police where we're walking around, you know, you got your judgment badge and you're able to come alongside of everybody and go, just so you know, I've got the badge, which means I don't have any type of a plank in my eye and I'm here to bless you in that kind of a way. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We need to confront. Why? Because all of us are off and we need help. But we need it from friends. We need relationships in our lives that come alongside of each other and remind each other of, man, can I help you? Can I come alongside of you? You're off. But I think there's this other side of it. Let me just say it this way. Please don't confront anybody if you don't have a biblical principle to confront them on. Make sure that before you come to somebody and confront them and help them, you have actual places within scripture that you're able to say, hey, here's where we need to adjust. Can I help you? 
And the other thing is, when you do confront, be there for them. Walk with them. But there's one last thing that happens here that I want you to see. The last thing that happens is, is that what happens, though, if somebody says, forget you? Man, that's happened to us, hasn't it? You've lovingly gone to talk to somebody, and I was just even talking to a parent recently, and this is what that kind of hits the road. He, he was going back to his son, and he was going to confront him about an issue, and his son told him to go pound sand. And he looked at me, and he said, what am I supposed to do? Well, I think what this passage has, and it's, I'm not trying to say that his son is a, is a dog or a pig. It's just, it's a way of describing someone that's gone like feral, right? Like you see a wild dog, not, not like dogs in the United States that still go to, man, they go into grocery stores now. <laughs> we are sick as a culture. Planes, I'm like, man, take your dog, put him outside, give him some water. Like, jeez. Not your dog, but other people's dogs. <laughs> We're talking about feral dogs, wild dogs, scavenger dogs that are out by the dump. It's this idea of wanting to just be soiled. They want to be dirty. It's a pig, right? I don't know how many of you grew up around pigs, but man, I grew up in Wyoming, and so we have more cattle than people. We also got some pigs. Pigs are just dirty, muddy, nasty, but they want it. What do you do with somebody that you go to confront, but they just want the filth? And I'm so glad there's a story of a father who told his prodigal to go get your son, your sin. Sometimes we do have to tell people, okay, I've come to you. I love you. But if you're not going to listen to me, go get your sin. It's Matthew 18 where we go to them if, if they're in sin and we seek to, to draw them out. We take two or three others. We tell it to the church. If they don't, he says, treat them as a tax collector. It's the heart-wrenching reality of sometimes what a church has to do of turning a person over to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5. But if that's what you want, well, go get your sin. Well, well why? Because we're going to go, see, I told you so. No, that's not it at all. We want to see people in their brokenness see, not us, because not only can I not be God as a judge, but I can't be God as a savior. I can't save people. Jesus saves people. And sometimes when people get out and they taste where they taste their sin and the decay of living in a world, they then all of a sudden, like the prodigal does, goes, oh, it was so good in my father's house. And they repent and come back. Everything the father does want them to do. But sometimes you have to let a person hit the bottom to be able to get there. And so Jesus says, there comes a point where you quit casting your pearls and quit casting what's holy out there and tell them just to go get their sin. Let them pursue the dirt. Now I say all this from this vantage point. This is actually what churches are supposed to be doing in love for one another. And in fact, there was a, there was a practice given to the church in 1 Corinthians that actually deals with this. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today around it. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, just so you know, the problem was is there was a bunch of rich people. And these rich people were coming home a little bit early because these particular rich people didn't have to work as much. And the working class had to stay out till evening. And the problem was that the rich people had eaten all the food. In fact, they were drinking all the drink. And as they were eating all the food and drinking all the drink, there was none left. And there was starting to be division in that particular group of people. And so Paul writes to them and says, man, gosh, this is a mess. 
This is the way he kind of puts it up there. When you come together, man, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. That's not what it looks like, verse 20. That makes no sense to me. Now, what is it then that the church is supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to slow down. And actually, here's the words of Jesus coming out. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Meaning, if you guys keep going about this in this particular way, man, this is no good. This is not portraying, this is not good for you as a, as a body. Now look what he says, verse 28. He says, let a person first do what? Examine. In other words, oh, hey, before I go do anything else, I need to take the plank out of my own eye first before I do anything. Oops, I didn't mean to go on there. And then he says, after you've examined himself, well, then you can eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, and now he's going to talk about this idea of the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you here, look at this, are weak and ill, and some have what? Died. Here's the judgment of God. It's a serious thing to not discern these types of realities. But look at now verse 31. But if we together judged ourselves truly, here now we're getting into it, right? We've taken the plank out of our eye and we're judging each other. Well, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined. And that's where I got that from a little bit earlier. So that we may not be condemned along the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one earth. Everyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So here's what I want to do very quickly. I want to give you all in this room just a little bit of time. I'm going to have Diana play. And one of the things we're going to do is just ask the question, what plank is currently in my eye? Okay? We're going to ask, God, what plank is in my eye? We're going to seek, God, would you show me what plank is in my eye? We're going to knock, God, would you reveal to me what it is? And so for the next, like, minute or so, I want to just give you just a second, all right? So go ahead, and if you could play, Diana, we're just going to take a little bit of time. battle with hypocrisy. We battle thinking that we're better than others. We even sometimes battle in the way that we talk about others. We engage with them. And so, Father, just on behalf of everybody, we are asking, would you reveal those ways in which we are not living your name? We're not living your kingdom. We're not living your will. Father, we so badly, those of us that are followers of Jesus, we want to be in line with that. 
And so, Father, right now, would you grace us with wisdom? We are knocking for the hope that we will find. We are seeking that you will show us so that we might not only be healthy followers of Jesus, but that we might help others to be healthy followers of Jesus. And so I thank you so much for that. I thank you so much as we come here now and confess our sins. You're a forgiving God. You want us to come and do this. And Father, even this table is a reminder. It's an invitation to hypocrites to come not arrogantly, but actually to come dependent. It's a table full of grace. And so, Father, we, we thank you for allowing us today to come and experience the grace of your table. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Here's the other thing I want you to do. In your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, in your friendships, as you deal with kind of that plank in your eye, I actually want you to go talk to others about your own journey. Like we really do in our friendships, we desperately need people to point out what's going on within us. We need others to share with us. Now again, not as the kind of the police on that kind of a way, but it's just these ones that care about each other. Because that's what Paul's talking about. Man, if we judged ourselves, if we went around and we actually dealt with each other in that kind of way, in a caring way, so that others might truly live the name of Jesus and live his kingdom and live his will, we become the church that I believe God intends us to be. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I, I don't know where all you, you come from. My hope is, is that Cornerstone will be an example of Jesus Christ to you. We're not perfect. Let me just say that to all of you. We are not perfect. I confessed already. We're hypocrites. And so if any of you are kind of putting this little obstacle that says, I don't want to come to know Jesus because they're a bunch of hypocrites, we are. We're hypocrites being transformed by the grace of Jesus. And so even for you, man, our hope is, is that you will see the goodness of God and that you will come and bend your knee to this great king. This one who died for you to make a way for you to know the king, the God of the universe. To truly experience what it means to, to have this forgiveness that he talks about. Now for those of us in here that know Jesus, because this is who this is for. Paul was kind of recollecting on that night in which Jesus shared the Lord's Supper with the guys that he was with. And it says in there that on the night that he was betrayed... He took bread, and he would give him thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now listen, Jesus was no hypocrite, but the perfect one who died for us, he died for hypocrites like you and like me. And so with that, let's take this together in the name of Jesus. And then lastly, in the same way, he also took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so with one group, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, including hypocrisy. That plank that we have in our eye, Jesus died for, that we may, not long, we may no longer bear it, but he died to bear it in himself. And all God's people I say to that said, let's take together.
Father, thank you so much for everyone that's in here. Thank you for the grace that you've given us. But Father, I pray for Cornerstone. I pray for all the churches that know and love you in, in Simi Valley, Father. Would we be a church that spends way more time worrying about what's going on internally to us than we do pointing out all the flaws of what's going on in our world? Father, I know we need to point to those things. There are evil in the world that we need to point to. But Father, would judgment begin with the church first? And from this, would there be now people that know you more, that want to make much of your name, that want to make much of your kingdom, that want to live your will? Father, would we be this beacon of hope, this preservative to a world that's decaying? Would we be your church? And we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Now here's what I'm going to do because it's, it's 1120. We do have one more song. Um, if you're a parent and you need to go get your kids, you can totally feel free to go get them. And I mean, everybody stand up with me for just a second before we do this last song. All right, stretch it out. I try to regularly look out at all of you and remind you, I truly do, I love you. I love this church. But I love this church enough to say, we do need to get deeply inside of each other's lives more than we currently are. Not, not because just to do it for doing its sake, but I believe we need to be the church that is transformed and made new by Jesus in new and ongoing ways, but that's gonna require us to be in each other's lives more intimately, to help one another work through those flaws in different ways. And so in the name of the Father, who knows and knows how to judge and has the standard to judge rightly, but yet poured his wrath out on his son so he wouldn't pour his wrath out on you. And in the name of the son who took that wrath, with the hope and the understanding, the expectation there would be a group of people transformed into his very own image. And in the name of the spirit, it's through him that we are transformed. Church, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. And by God's grace, may we live as those transformed. And all God's people said, Amen. all right, God bless you all.